Welcome into yet another live edition of the Return of the Roar podcast. Myself, Chris Watkins. Oh, I got to figure out the pointing directions. This way, Frankie Cardicelli, as always. Joining us, though, Matt George of ABC10. Oh, geez. And Brennan Nunez of the King's Pulse podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. Appreciate the invite, fellas. <laughs> yeah, someone just go ahead and hop in whenever, you know. Gosh, no awkward guys. pause or anything no like that. Right the chemistry is unbelievable. Chemistry is through I don't the want... roof to start this thing. I didn't want to blab over any of you guys, but I want to say this is like a Christmas special. This is like the King's <laughs> media version of a Christmas special. Like, exactly. we're all collaborating. It's beautiful. It's a Christmas just, miracle. And just like my family Christmas parties, I may have invited myself on social media. Oh, no, I mean, but you're you're the Matt George man. You you that's move right. Your TV's from, Matt George. That means nothing your to TV, anybody. Your TV's Matt George. I don't want to bother you with our Just like were busy. activity. Yeah, yeah, man. You and Kevin are always up to things. You know, you can never never assume that you guys aren't busy. All right. Well, Speaking of busy with, now that the pleasantries are out of the way, that was that was super smooth. Uh, let's get into some Kings basketball boys uh last night was possibly you know what was that was that the win of the season for you guys i mean that was incredibly unexpected for me i i have you know in on my kings weekly if i can plug that uh i i was anticipating this toronto game to just be an automatic l like there was no chance in my mind when you look at it being the second night of a back-to-back coming after a philadelphia team that is one of the best in the league and then having to come back less than 24 hours later and play the toronto raptors was not expected for me at all was was anyone anticipating it to even be competitive I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I, I expect every game to be competitive for the Kings. Like that, I think that's a, a fair and realistic expectation to have for this Kings team every single night is that they will be competitive. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win every single game. And I think what the Kings have struggled with on this road trip to this point is closing gaps as quickly as they've been able to, uh, at home and earlier on this season, which I think has become a trait of this Kings team. But last night, when the Kings went down 16, I was feeling like, okay, here we go. Similar pattern to both the Knicks and 76ers game. There's a lot of foul calls. There's really no flow to this game. There's no rhythm. The Kings are down double digits. They're going to have to fight to put together a 5-6-7-0 run. And suddenly they battle back from 16 down uh, to, to make it a game around halftime. And the second half was super competitive uh, and and a lot of fun. Of course, we could talk about the officiating. Of course, we could talk about how this game ended, De'Aaron Fox taking over and things like that. But to answer your initial question, Chris, yeah, I always expect the Kings to be competitive this year, and I don't think that's unrealistic to ask of them. They're going to have bad nights from time to time, but the Kings should be in all 82 of their games. That's where I'm at at this point, too, and I'll take credit for the lack of flow after that first one. We probably had established a rotation first time around, and I totally butchered it, so that's on me. Um, But I actually thought this Raptors game, second to probably the Milwaukee game, was going to be the most difficult one of the road trip, second night of a back-to-back. I guess in a way it helps that you got blown out by Philly and got a little bit more rest towards the end of that game. Um, but I, I think that to Matt's point, I'm totally with that, that I think at this point, I expect them to be competitive in every game. Anytime somebody asks me if I think they're going to win on any given night, I never know it's a coin flip. And some nights that's a good thing. Some nights that's a bad thing. Um, but this was just great fight by them. I was admittedly feeling pretty down after that Philly game, the New York one to me, I was like, Oh, this is an outlier, bad shooting night. The Philly one just left a bad taste in my mouth. I, I thought they got totally destroyed and 
It's like, oh, maybe just that stretch of good defense was actually the outlier and they're still just a bad defensive team. But to come and bounce back the way they did in Toronto through a super physical team, and typically I think that's something that had bothered them in years prior and even earlier at the beginning of this year. But I thought they did a good job of matching the physicality, not letting the whistles um, affect them all too much or, or maybe even motivate them a bit more. But definitely one of the better wins of the season. And it's great that I think one of the other biggest ones was also the other win on this road trip in that Cleveland game. That was my thought too. Like the, the Cleveland game still to me reigns supreme. I mean, both Cleveland games, the Cleveland game at home and the Cleveland game on the road. Thank you, Cleveland. Shout out Cleveland for a couple of nice wins there. But no, I think the, the way the Kings dropped a couple of these last couple of games in, in New York and Philly, when you can kind of pinpoint uh, the exact period where things went wrong. I mean, you look at the Knicks game, uh, the first quarter, they let Julius Randle just kind of have a field day, do whatever he wanted. The rest of the game, the Kings were actually in, I don't want to say control, but I mean, they outscored the Knicks for the remainder of the game. The defensive rating uh, holds up. They were near 100 for the remainder of the game after being just, I think they were 128, 130 in the first quarter. Um, Philly, obviously the second quarter when you let the 76ers score 41 points, things aren't going to go very well. Joel Embiid and James Harden are two guys that just, make a living on getting to the rim. And I think I saw a lot of comments on Twitter about how painful it is to watch the 76ers play basketball because all they try to do is draw fouls, get to the line, a lot of stoppages in that game. Uh, the Kings really have made a living off of getting out and getting and running the pace, and they're a top-five team in pace this season. So when you kind of take the ball out of their hands in that regard, that that makes things a little hard for them. So the those two games were tough, but like Brendan said, the, uh, the Cavs game in – and last night's game kind of go hand in hand. The Kings held the Cavs scoreless at the final five minutes of of that game last Friday in Cleveland. Last night they held the uh, they held the Raptors to three points over three and a half minutes. So that's in the final stretch of the game. So that to me, uh, that's huge. And I'm feeling pretty good of this road trip. They have a chance to split it, which I think a year or Kings teams have passed. We're feeling just over the moon about the Kings splitting a six game East Coast road trip. So uh, the vibes are high today, gentlemen. The vibes are high. Vibes are very high. Vibes are immaculate, dare I say. Uh, I think I'm going to kind of slip back into a nice little host role. I kind of realized that you guys are all such beautiful basketball minds around here. I should just let you guys uh, go. So, so if you don't mind, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna guide. We want your you 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 have a beautiful <laughs> mind, sir. You the you, most beautiful, spreading. even. Coming yes. from the guy who's doing pre and post game and halftime right. during King's radio broadcasts. Now. Yes. <laughs> Yes. More, you know, I, I, I'm just tired of my takes, honestly. Well, I think it was Frankie Please. that said he thought the Cleveland game earlier in this road trip was maybe a little more impressive than last night's win. And I actually feel the opposite because, I mean, the, the 19-0 run and the finish at the end of that Cavs game was really, really impressive. But I thought the the grittiness to that Sacramento Kings win is something that we've only seen a handful of times over the course of this entire playoff drought. And it's like a once in a blue moon, like when the Kings came back from down, what was it, almost like 40 points in Chicago and things like that, like these kind of outlier games that we thought were were like one in a million for the Kings, where last night's gritty comeback was not out of the realm of possibility. And the fact that, I mean, they dealt with, the the six trailing by 16 they dealt with the officiating their head coach got ejected De'Aaron Fox who is still not 100% is dealing with lacerations to his face and getting two-handed <laughs> shoved by Fred Van Vliet and like the Kings just found in a very physical way against a really good Toronto Raptors team they found a way to on a in a very difficult arena to play in they found a way to kind of guts their way to a a victory that 
in the past, we would not see. We've seen the Kings come back in games so far this season and win, but last night's felt a little bit different because, I mean, I think it's fair to say the Kings stole one in Toronto, but I don't say that with a negative connotation like the Kings didn't deserve to win that game. They very much went into Toronto and said, this is a game that we probably should lose on a second night of a back-to-back, but De'Aaron Fox is going to play 41 minutes. DeMontis Sabonis is going to play 40 minutes. We're going to do it without our head coach, and we're going to do it while uh, dealing with a maybe uneven whistle. So I, I was thoroughly impressed by how Sacramento was able to figure out how to win that game in game and not wait a week or two weeks to make adjustments for the next time they take on Toronto. Absolutely. And they did it with their stars, you know, like it was really led by Fox and Sabonis, which I think is always a great sight, especially when Fox is just coming back from missing two games uh, with a foot injury. I think Philly was his first game back. If I'm remembering that correct. And yeah. just kind of gauging his burst and consistency of burst. And then you saw him turn it on in that fourth quarter. And it was like, okay, this is the De'Aaron that we kind of got used to at the beginning of the year. Um, and I thought that was great. Sabonis was dominant as usual. I mean, to have a 21, 20 and seven game, is just totally absurd while he's battling foul trouble. And I like that when he's still in foul trouble, his physicality never seems to really waver in any sort of way. Um, And this was a big bounce back game from Malik Monk too, who who had really been struggling after getting a lot of momentum and seeming to have found his role to the point where Mike Brown is, is championing uh, the idea for him to be six man of the year and and being real vocal (laughs) about it. And it didn't seem all that Put your foot on the table, Brandon. If you're going to say Malik Monk, six man. All right, let's take the shoe off. Let's take Take the shoe shoe off. off. Can we we all get a foot in the camera at the same (laughs) time here? Uh, is this unless, is this going on? Unless, oh, unless somebody's oh. barefoot, you got to pay for that. that. <laughs> flexible. You got to pay for that. Yeah, that's then. no, that's a special <laughs> thing. Malik Monk, yeah, no, six man of the year. Oh, I cannot. Oh, no, I'm not. Year. Shout out to Frank. Is that, that sock ninety years old, Brendan? Dear Lord, that sock is begging for death. My God. But I thought it was. You have a coffee stain on the bottom of your foot. What's your socks, Matt? No, absolutely not. Like I said, you got to pay for that. Do you have some like candy cane socks, Christmas tree no, socks? They're, they're golf socks. Leave me alone. Are you going? Are you going golfing today? No, as in they're they're socks that have question. you know what? Well, fine, you know what? Matt, are we are we messing up your tea time? You got your Tiger Woods? Oh, yeah. I see what oh. you didn't want to show us. Right. What do you mean you didn't want a golf sock? There's a little coffee stain on it. You dirty. Whoa! This is a this is a family a family program show here. Wash you okay? your clothes. Please. You wash your. Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, like I said, no. I'm going to try and play the host role here and try and rein us in and bring us back <laughs> to reality. Real quick, real quick, because uh, I we are a basketball uh, program. Uh, yeah. Brendan's point, I, I mean, know. and that's that to me is the one of the biggest takeaways or the biggest takeaways that when the Kings have not rocket science, but when your stars are producing at a high level, and we see it happen a lot. Like it happens at home, and I think I saw someone on Twitter say, uh, I think it was I can't remember who it was. You need your stars to be locked in and just at the top of their game on the road, and then your role players can produce at home. And I wish I could credit who said that. I saw it on Twitter last night. but And it's a good point because the Kings need Fox and Sabonis to be great on the road. And last night in the fourth quarter alone, Fox and Sabonis scored 18 points uh, on 8 of 11 shooting. And then, like you said, Brendan Malik Monk had a huge bounce back game. Uh, really nice to see him get going. He had 9 points in the fourth quarter. So those three alone uh, challenged or nearly outscored the Raptors in the fourth quarter. So when your guys, your core players are really locked in, and of course Kevin Herter was out last night, so some of their players need to step up. But when those guys are locked in, this isn't an easy team to beat on any given night. And even against a Toronto team that is a good home team, a good defensive team, 
uh, and had most of their guys healthy. I know OG Ananubi was out last night, but uh, the Kings, to me, that's an impressive win. So I, it's it's one that's up there. Well, it's something Talk that stands out to stars, me. Too. I, oh, sorry, Chris. Oh, no, you know, no, you host, sorry. you host, no, Chris, I'm you host. Sorry. Shut up, me. <laughs> I just wanted to uh, to point out while we're talking about the King Stars, just exactly how good Demonis Sabonis has been this month. Uh, in seven games so far in the month of December, he's averaging just under 20 points a game, 19.9 points a game, 13 and a half rebounds, six and a half assists on 71% from the field. And here, boys, I don't think you're ready for this one. 80% from three-point land. Demonis Bonus is shooting 80% from three-point land. Obviously, shooter. Uh, an incredibly limited Donkey. sample size. He is four or five from three for the month. But uh, let's let's just talk a little bit about Domas and, and how impactful he's been. I mean, I, I was not ex- expecting him with this incredibly tough stretch of bigs that he's gone against on this road trip. Uh, with it being the Brooke Lopez, who's Defensive Player of the Year, Giannis, who is also in that Defensive Player of the Year candidacy, uh, and then going against Cleveland's Twin Towers, the Knicks present a, their pair of Twin Towers a little bit with uh, with Mitchell and and uh, uh, Julius Randle. I blanked his name because he gave us absolute buckets. And then obviously uh, Embiid in Philly. And then last night, just the general size of Toronto. Uh, none of that has been a problem for Demonis Sabonis. Uh, absolutely incredible stretch of play here. Go Brent. ahead, Matt. Matt, Matt, oh, Matt, Matt you're ready. That no, no, it's you, Scott. Turn. I don't know. Figure this out. Four is too many. <laughs> we, Someone's oh got to go. Someone's got to go. We're professionals. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, Sabonis has been great, man. I think that the entire identity of this team, not necessarily off the court, I think there's a lot of maybe louder personalities that the team seems to take on, but on the court, like it's totally Sabonis, man. He he unlocks everybody else. Um, you you definitely have seen like everybody's like, oh well, the Kevin Herter and Sabonis two man game is so good. The Malik Monk and Sabonis two man game is so good. The Fox and Sabonis two man game is so good. The common theme here is that Sabonis is so good at unlocking his teammates. And I, I just can't say that enough. And defensively, um, like those numbers that you you put up are all phenomenal, obviously, but defensively, I, I think he's mm-hmm. been great. You know, I, I was just thinking that if he's not a negative out there, all, everything that he provides on offense, that's enough. But he's been genuinely impactful on the defensive end. It's not going to show up in normal blocks. He doesn't quite have the length to get his hand on the ball, but the physicality, verticalities that he provides, he's going to, get a few more of those uh, defense player of the game chains. Well, yeah. And on top of that too, he's been asked to anchor the Kings defense, which is something that he's never really done in his career and never really been known for. And, and to anchor a decent team defense is not an impossible ask and not an impossible task. I remember when, uh, when Mike Malone was here, he asked him on uh, DeMarcus cousins to anchor the Kings defense. And DeMarcus was never known as a really, really good defender, but he knew how to at least through that small sample size before he got viral meningitis, he at least figured out, how he can be that anchor. And we've seen Sabonis figure that out. And what's most impressive to me is, especially in last night's game, is he has not backed away from the physicality period, even when that physicality has resulted in uh, treatment from the referees that if I want to know anything from this season, I want to know what Demonte Sabonis did to pick off, uh, piss off the NBA <laughs> Officials Association because they just, for some reason, do not like 
how Sabonis plays on the defensive end of the floor. Some of the most ticky-tack fouls on the planet. Now, Sabonis also does get whistled for good fouls when he tries to be a little too physical. But the fact that last night's game, he's coming off of back-to-back games where he got into some early foul trouble against the Knicks and against Joel Embiid in the 76ers, and he doesn't back away from Pascal Siakam. He's going right into the, the teeth of the defense offensively as well. Uh, and he, the fact that he doesn't shy away from physicality, living up to kind of that Ox nickname, I think that's something that the Kings rely on him heavily for as well. He is very much the the foundation or the backbone of everything that the Sacramento Kings do. And that's why it doesn't surprise me that I think, Frank, you're the one that tweeted this out. Like he and Chris Webber are, are tied in 2020 games and DeMontis has done it in like 43 games. Like his importance, that speaks volumes to his importance. And it's not just statistically, it's it's what he means to everything that the Kings really do right. You mentioned how important he is, though. And, like, the in order to be important, you have to be on the floor. And we know that Sabonis has dealt with some foul trouble. And I think over, like, early in the season, it was him being overly aggressive. And this coaching staff has preached defensive, you know, that that, that aspect of the game is very important. And we've seen him make adjustments. But I know that the talking point around uh, King's social media, the King's fan base right now, is officiating. And it just seems like the Kings have gotten a bad break for this entire road trip, really. And even earlier on the season, and you've seen guys like Kevin Herter who have come over to the Kings the first time and they say, hey, it's different here. We do not get calls that I used to get in Atlanta. Other guys have told Kevin that the same things happened to them. They've come over from other other situations and they're not getting calls. I'm just wondering if you guys think, and I guess we'll start with you, Chris, because we're going hey. my turn here. We're going my turn here. Do you think <laughs> okay. it it's the name on the jersey? Is the reason why the Kings are not getting these calls is because of the fact that they are still seen as little brother, even though they've had a good start, they're still being seen as little brother around the NBA and just kind of like a footnote because there there are some things like last night. The final play of the game was egregious. Mm-hmm. Seeing Fred Van Vliet two right. hand push off De'Aaron Fox right. go flying. De'Aaron's bleeding from the face already from a, a call that was missed a play before. Uh, is it because they won the Jersey? I mean, is that what you think? I personally don't think so. I would like, that's not deep state, but it's just like, why, why would the Kings be that punching bag? I guess you could argue that it's because it's easy and, you know, you would say like, Oh, they're going to lose anyway. And and that doesn't matter. Um, but I actually, to, to plug our own content here, not ours, but the station content, Doug Christie was on, uh, earlier this season, on one of our shows and, and uh, the host asked him a similar question. And he actually said that it is a thing. Like you literally have to gain the respect for ease. And uh, I, you know, he, he used the example that only like, I'm not going to do it justice because Doug is one of a kind, but he's like back in the, you know, now people are like, Oh, whatever. Like it's the Kings, whatever. Like it, you can call it on them. But back then, like it used to be, that's the Kings. So like you, you know, you, there was just a different level of respect um, that the team had. And so, yeah, I mean, strangely enough, I, I think I'm starting to kind of believe that it is a little bit of, of who the team is uh, and, uh, and not so much just like, oh yeah, I'll just all refs are bad and everyone experiences uh, bad refereeing. It does feel like Sacramento does get a nice little salt Bay special of, of some terrible referees. So I'll, I'll play a, a tiny role of contrarian to start and then say how I actually <laughs> feel. 
Uh, but the, the contrarian in me is, is look, we watch Kings basketball more than we watch any other team. And I think right. everybody who focuses, hyper-focuses on one team is going to feel slighted more often than not. And, and I think just watching basketball in general this season, I've tried to do more uh, than just watch Kings basketball. Um, like, I think the, the officials have been just bad, period, this year. Like, watching national TV games, just watching local games, like – it seems like they're trying to do too much. And for we're in an era in the NBA where tempo and flow and getting up and down and shooting threes, like that's what makes the NBA so entertaining. And you have officials sometimes directly working against that, slowing down the pace of the game, which kills a team like Sacramento where flow is so important. So I, I don't necessarily believe in conspiracy theories. I don't believe that the, the, the uh, officials treat the Kings significantly different than other teams just because it says Kings on their Jersey necessarily. But I will say this, the way that the officials have handled the Sacramento Kings this season has been ridiculous. The way they've handled DeMontis Sabonis has been ridiculous last night. Like I, on the locked on Kings podcast last night, I was laughing about the final play, but I watched it again last night after I was done with the podcast. And I actually ended up getting pissed off because the reality of that situation last night was when, or when Fox was two hands shoved, literally right in front of the official. You can go back and watch the clip. The official doesn't even look at Fox. Now one could say, okay, because he has to keep his eye on the play, but it, it almost looks like he's ignoring Fox completely and giving him the cold shoulder. Darren Fox is not that good of an actor, ladies and gentlemen. He cannot, like a stuntman, throw himself and slide 10 feet down the floor. It's not who he is. There was definitely a push by Fred Van Vliet. And to me, it's it goes further beyond just a missed call in that situation. And thankfully, Van Vliet missed the shot. To me, it goes to a, 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 a both a disrespect and an incompetence thing. Because at, at that point, you're treating Darren Fox differently. Oh, I can say whatever I want. <laughs> I'm not Mike Brown. <laughs> uh, De'Aaron Fox and Mike Brown have called the officials out. Mike Brown gets, or Fox got teed up. Mike Brown got ejected for pointing out the incompetence of the officiating. And at that point, the official went from, okay, I'm just bad at my job and missing calls to, no, I'm going to be an ass and I'm intentionally going to ignore this shove when minutes before you were bleeding, like Frankie pointed out, I'm going to intentionally ignore that just because I'm going to be an ass about it. Like that's where, when I don't think officiating is an easy job by any means, and I know they're humans too, and they don't deserve to be treated like crap. But at the same time, like if you have a job where you're supposed to be impartial, and you're allowing your own personal frustrations, which I get are human, but you're allowing that to impact the decisions you're making or to slight somebody because you didn't like how they talked to you. Like, I think that's ridiculous from NBA officials. And I think that's happening a lot around the league this year, not just in Sacramento. Yeah. What, what does a pissed off Matt George look like, like when you go back and, and you're pissed <laughs> off? Is that like, damn, I got to record another segment and, and really let him hear a lot it? Of, a lot of high-pitched screaming and, and flailing of arms like a, a pool noodle. And yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> Like a pool noodle. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, it's definitely frustrating. The, the shove on Fox was obviously ridiculous. Like, that was by far the most egregious one of the night. The one that Fox ended up bleeding, like in real time, I actually admittedly didn't even see that much contact. But then when they play it back, it's like, okay, I I think that obviously was a foul. But, you know, when it comes to fouls per game, Kings are 14th in the league. Like they're right around league average. It's really Sabonis, right? I mean, Sabonis is sitting at the sixth most fouls per game. But I think it kind of makes sense. Like they're asking him to do a lot defensively. He's an extremely physical player. And one of their staples on defense is being physical without fouling. And I think that's a way you make up for not having the natural defensive talent. 
And I think there's just kind of a balance there. Like, I'm not trying to say refs are perfect. There was a lot of BS calls. Last night was one of the most frustrating games when it comes to calls. Um, But I think when you are an extremely physical team and trying to make up for a lack of natural defensive talent and length, that it's kind of going to be in the nature of it that you're going to get a lot of these whistles. So it's frustrating. Um, I think more often than not, games are not decided by whistles, but it's definitely been frustrating, specifically with Sabonis. Like there are multiple with him where it's like, okay, how are you going to call that on him on one end, but then you're not going to give him a whistle on the other. And there's a couple people in the chat that are saying, like, uh, Megan and, and Skip and Tosh said, uh, if it would De'Aaron Fox get more calls if he was an all-star? Probably. And that's kind of the messed up part about, you know, the NBA. They say superstar calls. I think, I think those are a thing. And I don't want to say Fred Van Vliet is a superstar, uh, but I think he's, he's obviously accomplished a lot more than some players in the Kings have. He's been an all-star and won an NBA championship, had a huge role in 2019. Um, but yeah, I think if De'Aaron Fox becomes a, a perennial all-star in two, three years, we see him getting hit on the face, called immediately. I think we see that push off called an offensive foul. I do think that kind of changes those narratives, but, um, yeah, I mean, like you're right, Brennan. I mean, the, I wouldn't say last night's game would have been dictated by the officiating. There's been some games that haven't really been dictated by it either. I think that the games that really stick out are the ones where there were no calls on Tyler Hero's travel. That had nothing to do with the foul. Um, there was the the uh, Clay Thompson that was a foul. Those are the ones that stick out this season, like that are really at the top of our minds. But uh, yeah, it's still hard to see. But got to move on. This question is uh, kind of for Brendan, but uh, right here, are we getting a Band-Aid Fox? What do you think, Brendan? Are we going to get a Band-Aid Fox? He was a big anti-Band-Aid guy when it came to Malik in his scratch on the face. Is there any chance that uh, that we're going to see De'Aaron Fox with a Band-Aid? Why is this question for me? Is it because I have Band-Aids because in the you other thought room? It was, it was because you thought it was really, really funny. <laughs> you, uh, thought that whole, you and I have talked about how funny we thought that dynamic was. That we Fox all was have a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Apparently, um, Rasse Caldwell, De'Aaron's wife, as of late, it did say on Twitter that he was going to be wearing a Band-Aid. But that was in response to Chris Biederman, who I think went on the second half of the road trip, saying that De'Aaron said he was not going to wear a Band-Aid. So maybe De'Aaron's <laughs> getting talked into it, and we'll kind of see what ends up happening here. But I'm all for it, and it would be hilarious for it to happen after the crap that he talked. It's wild that Malik's Band-Aid wearing annoyed De'Aaron so much that he doesn't want to treat or protect his <laughs> open laceration on his – well, stitched-up laceration on his face. He did say on Instagram, uh, the Kings made a post, and he responded saying, uh, like, st- stitches like over a cut or something like that. So he, he's obviously still petty <laughs> that Malik wore a Band-Aid over a scra- – or over a scrape. And, yeah, I, I think he has to wear a Band-Aid, though. You have to protect his, your stitches, man. Like, protect yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if definitely. I, I want to wearing a band aid courtside. My life will be. Oh complete. my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That would, or if we can get just Nelly to show up with his band aid, I think that would be even better. I, I would guess the Kings thought about reaching out to him during the band aid craze, right. but I wouldn't he be like the most expensive or most famous performer the Kings have ever had at halftime? Nelly? Hell no. I mean, who's, the, who's more, who, who is more famous than Nelly the Kings have had at halftime? They had little John perform. Whoa. I think Nelly's bigger uh, than Lil John. You think no. Nelly is bigger than no. Lil John? Lupe Fiasco is pretty big. Everybody in the chat is Nelly bigger than than uh, is ne- Nelly John. bigger than Little John? <laughs> I mean, who else did they had? They had. Um, uh, I mean, Drake has technically sat courtside. Kelsey Grammer twins. also. 
the, the guy that balances thing. things on his chin is up there. That was crazy. The disrespect to Vanilla Ice. Okay. <laughs> they have Vanilla Ice like three times, man. Like he has Sacramento on speed dial. Let's see. I don't know. We're 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 splitting the chat here. Sorry, I'm focused on this little John Nelly debate. More people are saying little John's little more John, famous. But there's there's definitely a couple people in here saying Nelly's That's bigger. Bias. Nelly Simone, has some good songs, but Simone, what do Simone, you think? You're gonna be yeah, Little John's worldwide, but I think she's I think she's gonna go with Nelly. What what was Nelly's last hit though? That dumb he song. Have turn down Florida, for what? Florida. You know? Come on. Isn't Florida Georgia line? Isn't he on that song with Florida Georgia oh, line? Yeah, okay, well, he's fired. All right. No, 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 no. We we were at a station. That, <laughs> all right. The, the best thing Nelly did. The best thing that Nelly did was be in longest yard with Adam Sandler. That was the best thing that Nelly did in his career. It's a great flick. It's a great film. Is he in that movie? Yeah, he plays the running back, Earl Meggett. Okay. That's literally his name in the film. You know the names too, man. Yeah. Well, wait. uh, That that movie is phenomenal. Paul Crew. That's Adam Sandler's name, right? Paul Crew. Oh, how about we talk about a little bit? Has everyone in here seen Hustle? The fact that we were able to play Bo Cruz last night wasn't wasn't that a, a weird experience? Yes. He he got a lot of run. It seemed like uh, Bo Cruz. He did. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wancho, Wancho last night. Uh, where are you? Twenty four minutes. He had five and five. <laughs> Very uh, Jason Thompson esque. Good for him. Sorry for the strays. JT catching strays for no reason. He he's a nice guy. I'm sorry for that. Sorry, JT. Leave our rebound leader alone, and or games leader our, alone. All time games, bro. Get it right. Respect. <laughs> That is a I have tough a, one. I have a question for you guys as we get kind of back to uh, the Sacramento <laughs> Kings. Is um, it about Nelly? Yeah. It's not or about Nelly, time. but it's, I mean, it kind of like is a call. I mean, the last time the Kings were, were relevant, Nelly was kind of probably top of the charts, right? I mean, Yikes. back in 04, 05, Is Nelly ever top um, of the charts? Yeah, hot and her I think for sure, bro. That had to be in been a number one record. Yeah, hot and that her. Had to have been That's what it is. Yeah. Hot and her. Uh, do you think the Kings have proven, not proven, but are hinting at the fact that they are not yesterday's kings. They're not going to repeat these same mistakes. I just want to know, do you think that that culture, as far as, has the losing culture sort of begun to evaporate? Because you see all the things that have happened with the chain, the beam, the the way that the kings have, have, I mean, the celebrations in the locker room and how much fun these guys are having together. It doesn't feel to me, like I think, Brendan, you said it too, that you don't feel like, when you when you look at who the Kings are playing on a nightly basis, you don't you feel 50-50, I think, which is I think a huge upgrade from how Kings fans have felt in the past. Have has this team moved on from that losing culture and started to build a winning culture? Are we on the are we on that road, Matthew George? Oh yeah, absolutely, we're on that road. But have they done it yet? No. I mean, it, this ta- it, I think it takes multiple seasons, and I think it, it takes adversity to reach where the Sacramento Kings are trying to go. And I, I look at like. I, uh, the two biggest games that I draw the most conclusions from on a negative are the the Bucks games and Celtics games because these are two NBA championship caliber programs that the Kings hang uh, hung with for a decent amount of time and then when they needed to they said okay sit the hell down we're the Bucks we're the we're the Celtics you're gonna learn today like that and, and, and that's how they play and I think that shows that the gap between being good and great in this league is massive. And I think it's fair to say right now on December 15th, the Kings are a good basketball team. I think we've seen enough to say the Kings are a good team. And if we had come into the season and said by mid-December, we would know the Kings are good, I think we'd be throwing a parade in downtown Sacramento. But to get from good to great, 
I think you need to be knocked down a peg a little bit. I mean, it took the Boston Celtics losing in the NBA Finals last year. The Milwaukee Bucks, uh, I mean, Giannis was an MVP before they won a championship. Like, the, the both these teams have dealt with adversity and taken a while to get to this point. So while mm-hmm. I think the Sacramento Kings absolutely have a chance of being a playoff team this year, I would expect them to be a first-round exit in the playoffs. I hope they prove me wrong, but maybe that's what this team needs to then take the next step next year and for Monty McNair to hopefully get a freaking second contract and then build upon that team next year and and have De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis take that experience and go, okay, now we got to take this a step further. Um, So, I mean, that's what I think this Kings team needs to still go through to change into a winning culture, but absolutely things are different. It's a team that accomplishes... Vladi Divac's vision of getting along and having good people in the locker room. That was always super important to Vladi. They have that, but they also have kind of this flash and flair to them provided by certain players like Malik Monk and, and Chemezi Metu. Uh, and they have a, a good balance of sustainable scoring. They have a good balance of, um, I mean, the, the fact that they've, on the majority of their wins, they've had six or more scores and double figures and it doesn't take De'Aaron Fox scoring 40 and DeMontis Sabonis scoring 30 a night for this team to have a chance like that uh, everything the Kings are doing they're absolutely moving in the right direction I like to just retweet Matt's (laughs) answer I mean I I agree with pretty much everything that was said there Um, I think that it is certainly moving in the right direction and it takes a while I think to get the stink off of your franchise, specifically from people on the outside. Like I would think of fans of Eastern conference teams aren't going to realize the turnaround that's been happening. And if it's not sustained, all it takes is this being an outlier year, like what we saw with the Jaeger year where 39 wins. And it seems like a good feeling and like they're trending in the positive direction. If you go right back to another year of the same old Kings, like the Kings meme is not disappearing, you know, so I, I think that it certainly is headed in the right direction, but they have to keep it up. Like Mike Brown said at some point uh, in this year that teams are actually like preparing for them now. It's not a surprise to teams anymore that what this team is, um, that they're going to be competitive, what their strengths are, and that they do have a handful of strengths. And maybe that wasn't always the case before. So I think that they're certainly trending in the right direction, but it's got to keep going up from here. In a, Meg in the chat was saying, asking how many years of coaching does Mike Brown have and how many years did he miss the playoffs? Um, I count about eight seasons, and he made the playoffs in all of them except for two. One of those, he got fired from uh, the job in Los Angeles. He only coached five games. One of them, he uh, went back to Cleveland in 2013-2014, and they went 33-49. and 49. Then it goes to, obviously, the Golden State years. He was a huge part of those teams. And uh, even early in his career, with the Spurs, they were in the postseason each year. Uh, the Indiana Pacers in the early 2000s, they were in the postseason each year. So wherever Mike Brown goes, the postseason follows. So, yeah, I mean, you're seeing it early in, in the season. Like you guys said, there's a lot that needs to, to happen for us to sit here and say, wow, this culture has officially been shifted. But when you see the wins, that obviously has a huge part in having a culture change. You have to win games. You can have fun. We saw it happen with the scorers a couple of years ago, and it's surprising to me when I look back at those – those uh those games the schedule and the just seeing how it felt like the kings were a lot better than they were and i I thought Mm -hmm. they were four or five games above 500 for most of the season and they actually never got above uh four games above 500 so it's interesting to see how it's so normal and it feels right it feels like it's this team is in the place where it should be 
can they maintain it? Can they exceed it? Can they get to a place where we're in March talking about not just hosting a play-in game, but getting into the top six? Because right now mm-hmm. the Western Conference is is kind of an open race at this point. I mean, I don't expect the Kings to be at the top of the the pack here in the one through three or four spots, but uh, I don't think a six a top six finish is out of the question if they keep playing this way. I think it's important to point out too, like Mike Brown has assembled a ridiculously good coaching staff here in Sacramento. Like I didn't realize how good this staff was until I started seeing them together from like you get it kicked out of a game and Jordy is your backup. Like in the fact that I thought it spoke volumes last night, you see the video of the celebration, Jordy getting his first NBA win and the celebration after that, who's in the background. It's Mike Brown pumping him up. And it's Mike Brown who allows Jordy to make that speech after the game. Like that, that speaks to one, why Brown is, such a phenomenal leader and two, why he's so well respected in this league, but you go from Jordy to Jay Triano. I mean, you have Luke Louts who did such a phenomenal job working with De'Aaron Fox one-on-one. We see the results of that. And of course, Brennan Nunez has, has talked to um, Luke about that. I mean, Doug Christie, of course, on that bench, like you go down the line and just go, there's so much freaking talent just working off the floor with these guys. That it, it's like it's it's not hard to see why the culture is changing simply because of the get s done attitude that they bring to the practice facility and bring to shoot around every single day. It doesn't feel like there's a wasted moment with these guys. Even if and all four of us sit courtside and we watch shoot around and like uh, Demontis Sabonis goes through a freaking workout and gets beat up pregame in in the work that he puts in. De'Aaron Fox works very very closely with Luke every single game on the same shooting shooting routine like these these the culture that these coaches are bringing to the table i think is really significant i just want to make a quick point uh, matt you 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 mentioned this earlier about how um the kings are at this point a good culture working on building that road to be a great culture and, and adversity is i completely agree with you i think the, the only way that you're going to kind of bridge that gap is is by going through adversity um, at, at all levels, whether, you know, it be losing four in a row and then figuring out how to, you know, get things back on track. Or like you mentioned with the Boston Celtics, where it is losing in the finals, getting so close, being up two one, like the, like the Phoenix suns were, they were up two mm. one and then end up losing the lead. Like that's the kind of stuff it really does hurt, but that is how you build culture, how you know, like, Every game matters. If you watch the Boston Celtics this year, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are treating every game like they're trying to win by 30. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that you only get from being so close to having it and then not getting uh, where you want to go. So I think that was an excellent point. Um, but also it reminds me that, yeah, the Kings did go from a bad culture to a good culture and are working on a great culture, but how quickly it can slip right back to bad culture. And you know, it could be a, we can have a bigger existential conversation about this team where it's, is there a, not a point, but if you're building this culture, they're kind of on a timeline that we all know, obviously, Demontis Bonus has this and next season. That could this culture be built up for one year just to be torn down halfway through next year? I don't know if we want to have that conversation now, but that's that's where my my sad a dose went. a dose of uh, I don't want to say like reality. <laughs> said, everyone started of, past, like, okay, you take that one. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, we'll start. start with me. Okay, I get to answer the the sad the sad question first. <laughs> um, no, that's something I thought about last night too. It it kind of uh, crawled into my brain when uh, you see the video of Harrison getting the chain put on him and great video it, by the way. Oh. Great video. Great Should've video. Gone to Mike Brown. What a team! What a freaking team! 
Kings Media has been killing it too by giving us the behind the scenes look. And obviously the run has been a great production, but just the fact that we get to see these kinds of celebrations, it's it's pretty cool to see. But when uh, the chain was being put on HB, the the thought of, oh, he's an expiring contract and he's someone that the team looks to as a leader. He's someone that is is widely loved within the locker room, uh, the front the front office, the coaching staff, the fan base, I think have been very supportive of HB even through his ups and downs over this, this season. He's been a good king for four or five years now. And to me, he is a huge part of why this team is, is where it is right now. He's kind of just an anchor. And I thought about last night how – if they were the Kings were to lose Fox for another game or, or if Sabonis had to sit out a night, you look to a guy like HB who has the ability to be that 20-point guy, and he's someone that, that's so huge to me. And we know that Keegan Murray is, is someone the Kings are very high on, and his ceiling, I think, is, is to that or better than Harrison Barnes. And it's not really expected of him right now to be that guy, but HB is, and someone who can be a leader and is huge to this culture change and someone I think that should be around for – at least the next couple of years. And that's why I was a guy who in the off season was a fan of would, would, would have been a fan of if the Kings would have given him an extension. I'm not sure how you guys feel about that. If you think it's time to, to visit that. I know Chris, you're shaking your head. No. Well, let me go back to you real quick before we go to our, to go to, to Brendan. I mean, Chris, why, why are you, why are you out on a Harrison Barnes extension? Let's say it's a two year extension for Thirty-two dollars. Uh, Thirty-two dollars. Thirty-two bucks. Thirty-two dollars. I'm in. 30, sold. 30, Thirty-two million. That's a little heavy for me. I don't know. You can and get a Target coupon to boot. A large, a large pizza and some twists from round table. Give them a quarter per game. Thirty-two um, million, like a two-year extension yeah. in that neighborhood. Two, three years. Like you're not on on board for that. He's only thirty. It's just to me. It's just handcuffing yourself. Like I just know what Harrison is, and Harrison is very solid. And you can do a lot worse than solid. You can also, I'm well aware, do a whole lot better than solid. And for me, I would just much rather, and I've, I, I'll, I'll cross-sport reference here, I would just so much rather take the risk on a Jalen Hurts than be okay with Matt Ryan being my quarterback. Like, if that makes sense. Like, I don't, I don't know if that cross-sports reference works, but it's more just like I would much rather take a risk on a guy who can maybe give me something different than Harrison Hold Barnes, on. who I know you're, is super solid in all areas. You're and telling that's what the, makes him so great. You're telling but, the Brendan Nunez line that's hinting at he's washed. You're, he's you're, not you're washed. Yo, have my back here. I was the only person saying he Boo. wasn't People you're were trying to tell to me Matt he Ryan. was washed. And I was like, <laughs> this is just who he is. <laughs> Matt Ryan was Chris was just like, no, he's been washed. This isn't new. Is not new. <laughs> this is just regular, regular stuff. Like this is how he be. I don't know, he man. sucks for four games. Chris and Watkins then he hates Harrison Barnes. Nah, no. Get him. Uh, I just get him. I just you know. I think Harrison is super solid. There's nothing wrong with Harrison Barnes. Again, like he is a perfectly okay player to have on your team. I just think you could do a lot better, and I would rather you try and fit it with a role. Then you know, just try and I don't know. I just I'm I really feel like you can do you can get a better player than Harrison Barnes. Not when you realistically look at the situation. No, you can't. Like you you cannot. There you it it's you can't just draft a Harrison Barnes at the 18th pick in the draft. Or you know Harrison Barnes isn't just available in free agency right now. But or you know someone to replace Harrison Barnes isn't. But and even if you trade him, you're probably going to get someone lesser than him. Uh, it's more just like I don't believe that unless Harrison Barnes is less important on your team 
you're it's you're just capping yourself is more how i feel i am definitely taking a two-year 32 dollar extension 32 no question first of all we got coupons. yeah exactly hoops i mean hp's been super frustrating to me also throughout the course of the time he's been in Sacramento, but that is only because you've gotten like moments of, wow, he can be amazing. And then you don't get that all the time. And you get these occasional moments where he's not great. But once you come to accept that, like, I think that he is a great player. I think that he is a really good starter in the league. Like, I I think that it's important to have guys like Harrison Barnes that on any given night can be the second, third best player on a team, you know, like, I don't think if you're relying on him to have that consistent production, then like, I I guess more so my point is that like, it was kind of on the team's construction in years prior, rather than on HB. I feel like he was just being asked to be more than he was. And you need more guys like that, which this team has slowly started to build to make sure that you have a, um, a Buffalo Bills type of turnaround that's actually real and not a Minnesota Vikings turnaround that's just fake. Whoa, relax. Hold on. We're throwing swords. Hold on. Someone hold me back. We're, we're is, throwing swords this morning. Is anybody's wrist hurt from all the backhanded compliments that we're giving to, to Harrison it's, Barnes right now? I, I it's think just – look. Uh, go ahead. No, look. Like Monty McNair is, is, has made the right choice, and the right choice is taking the risk like taking the risk of losing Harrison Barnes. And I think we can yeah. learn a lesson from uh, the the 2018 season. Like Harrison Barnes is a way, way better player than Iman Shumpert is. And I know everybody yes. loved Iman Shumpert. Iman Shumpert wasn't that good. He was just a fun personality. Like that's the reality of the situation. Sorry, Iman, don't put me in a diss track. But like the reality is like if the Kings, if the Kings were to trade Harrison Barnes midseason. They run the exact same risk of killing the momentum that they did in 2018. And I think on an, in a much bigger scale. I think Monty McNair is taking the absolute right risk. And I talked about this this offseason, which is putting, uh, putting one year of Harrison Barnes on the table with this new group and saying, okay, we believe this team is going to be better. We believe this team is going to make the playoffs. Now, ball is in your court, Harrison we are good enough now to where maybe you want to choose to remain here and continue to be a part of what we're building versus leave and try and get your final big contract on a contender elsewhere. And he very, very well may do that. But my, my issue has always been, if you're going to move on from Harrison Barnes, you need to do it for an upgrade. You're not going to do it to get worse. That doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. Where is that upgrade and why would any team give you that upgrade for an expiring contract of Harrison Barnes unless you're dumping a boatload of picks into that? And I know there are certain players out there. I know people are infatuated with OG and Anobi. I would love to have OG on the Sacramento Kings. I know Jonathan Isaac is another one that's brought up, although he hasn't played basketball since I was 12. Like there, there's so many pretty sexy option ideas out there, but we have to talk about what it takes to get that option. And then how much time are you willing to wait for that option to incorporate themselves into what the Sacramento Kings are trying to do versus you have someone here right now who maybe is inconsistent, who's the fourth or fifth option, which is a good thing. That's what Harrison Barnes should be, but he's ingrained in the culture. He knows what it takes to win and he's well-respected in the locker room. I think it would be an absolute mistake by the Sacramento Kings to get rid of Harrison Barnes at this point. I think you ride it out and run the risk of losing him. Real quick, I I do agree with you. I think he definitely does have his value, especially off the court as well. I'm seeing a lot of people in the comments mention that his off the court stuff is 
just as important. And I do think he is a big part of the culture for this team. And he is a terrific guy, like should be a senator when he's done playing basketball because he's he's just he's a perfect human being, it seems like. Um, but I, I like here we go. Here <laughs> we go. Washed. I'm All just right. saying, like, would you not like so the prospect of trading for somebody like Kyle Kuzma, where it's like Again, that's more of probably my example of when I meant just something different where you don't like you just know what Harrison Barnes is. If you trade Harrison Barnes for Kyle Kuzma, I think that there is a world where in two, three years, Kyle Kuzma is a better version of Harrison Barnes. Yeah. Yeah. But there is value in like, like you said, you know what HB is. And like, while that can be a downside, there's also value in that. It's just here. Right. Which is maybe what the Kings need from that Mendoza line. They, I, I think that by the fact that they're like struggling to barely get a six seed, which again, like we are fine with now, but in two years, like in order to elevate your team, you have to take some calculated risks. And the most obvious glaring point of we can get better at this position besides power forward with Keegan Murray right now is small forward that Harrison Barnes spot you can potentially get better at. And so that, to me, is the most logical place to take your swing. You could try and roll the dice again at point guard, but uh, I, to me, Harrison Barnes, where especially in a league where small forwards, to me, are the most important position, it just seems like if you really want to be a legitimate contender, you should try and get a legitimate guy at that position. So it's, it's the minutes like, or the role in the rotation that he has, not the money to you. That's what it is. It's the minute slash the role. The, the money just also coincides with the fact that if you lock him down for a certain amount of money, you can't maybe pick up a backup who's like you're paying Harrison Bard's starter money. I would much rather maybe not pay somebody starter money and try and get starter production out of them. Well, I guess that's where it gets interesting because if the Kings, let's say hypothetically, it's a hypothetical. So nobody get get crazy on me. Let's right. say the Kings win 48 games and they finish fifth in the West. Let's do it. I don't think that's too far maybe, out of the question. Maybe Harrison Barnes takes a pay cut and decides he this is the best place for him and his family. Maybe he make maybe nine ten million dollar deal. Mm-hmm. Notice how I said million, not ten dollars. Right. And maybe that's how that's what good teams do. Players like to yeah. <laughs> players like to win games, and you see players take pay cuts across the league. Now I think Harrison Barnes is going to have deals out there. If if the Kings let him go to free agency, I think he's going to get paid. I think he will will find a new home and get that money he's looking for. But maybe there's a situation where the Kings and Harrison Barnes can make it work because of how important he is to this young team who are coming onto the scene. But like you said, if it's a, if it, that's what is concerning you, the minutes in the role, maybe he takes maybe his role over time does. Maybe Keegan Murray comes into his if Keegan Murray comes into his own. Harrison Barnes is not going to play minutes over Keegan right. Murray over the next two three years. Like it's just not going to happen. So that's what I was going to say is if he takes less money, it makes him more expendable or more, you know, if because he's just not going to do that. If he makes eight, nine million dollars a year, then it's justifiable to potentially bring him off the bench and possibly get pay more for another replacement or do something else. Or you just bet it all on Keegan Murray, put all put all your money on 13. Not there yet. Black 13. (laughs) And Harrison Barnes. Yeah. Yeah. Still the reigning defensive player of the Matt, game. Matt, you haven't talked in a while. <laughs> You're muted, my guy. You're muted, Matt. Vegas is so stupid. It's still 
freaking <laughs> Freaking yeah, Vegas was first trip we, to Vegas. We we had to push Brendan into participating at the casino, and and Brendan was not willing to, and then he ended up just winning everything. And Matt and I had to go home with negative dollars. And then while, while his ass is on his way to the cashier, who does he run into? <laughs> Tyrese freaking Halliburton. So BS. Like what the hell? Best night of Brendan's life was in Vegas. Yeah, it was an incredible not, ten minutes. It honestly, was maybe the best ten minutes I've ever seen someone have. It was like out of a movie, like a, like a, Brent, like a, I don't know, like a, like a, I don't know. It was un- indescribable. Brendan had the best. Frankie and I life. lost in four uh, blackjack hands, and Brendan won in like eight, and then went to the freaking craps table. Or no, not craps, or the roulette table, and <laughs> won again. What the hell? Cash the out. Oh, there's Ty. It Congratulations. Was, it was hilarious. I had, I had no clue what happened. I was just excited <laughs> that I won and turned around and Matt was in shambles. Well, yeah, because no, I said black 13, put it on black 13 for Keegan Murray. You didn't do it. And of course, it hits black 13. <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, if I were to ever put anything on anything, I never get it right. But the one time I used my one bit of luck, you Ooh. didn't do it. But you still put it on black and one, and I hate you for it. So, As, to bring this back, I think no, that if HB... <laughs> Were to be moved on from, I would be very happy if he stuck around. I feel like it seems like a low chance, but uh, to Frank's point, like I don't think that it's impossible that if the team turns it around that he considers it. And I feel like coming into this year, I was absolutely guilty of this, but most people uh, were talking about it like it was inevitable that he was going to walk away. And I think that there's a chance that that doesn't happen. But if he does, you sort of have the replacement in Keegan Murray, but then you still need another, right? Like even the years prior, it was like, okay, the Kings need another Harrison Barnes. And maybe they have one in Keegan Murray, but then if HB walks, okay, now you need another one of those guys. And ideally, if you're taking a jump up to t- possibly talking about home court advantage in the playoffs type situation, I think that it's really important to have a really high caliber wing. Yeah, last thing I'll say about this uh, before I, I have to take off here um, is – like uh, what Chris is speaking to, I think is Monty's mindset, which is if there's an opportunity to improve my team, I'm going to do it. And I think he's been consistent with that his entire time here in Sacramento. He's always keeping his eyes out for the improvement. I don't see a realistic improvement where taking the risk of Harrison Barnes this season makes sense. Maybe this off season, something opens itself, but also every single year we get to the trade deadline and players become available that we don't think are available or we would never believe are available depending upon how their season is going. So we'll have to wait to get that context or context. The thing with me right now is I just don't see a scenario where trading Harrison Barnes makes enough sense or is enough of a sure thing for you to run the risk of completely um, up. Well, I shouldn't say completely, but changing the culture of a locker room in a way that can have an effect that we've seen just a few years ago. So, um, I mean, I think this Kings team is better to overcome it than they were in 2018, losing Iman Shumpert. The fact that they lost Iman Shumpert and it had that big of an effect also speaks to how not ready that Kings team was. But I think, like, when you have, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing. I know you want to improve and try and capitalize on your window as, as quickly as possible. But if there's success that you didn't necessarily expect or you're ahead of schedule, and you have a piece that's a major part of that. Um, again, unless you're doing something, and this is almost impossible to do, but unless you're getting as close to a guaranteed improvement as you can get in the NBA, I think I'm very, very hesitant to pull the trigger if I'm Monty. 
I hear you, and I definitely agree. Like to me, that's that's going to be the reason why Harrison ends up staying is probably because there is just no better option. You can't just replace him for the sake of replacing him. You can't do the Jay Crowder for, and Dario Saric or whatever for for Harrison Barnes and realistically expect your team to be better. I I, I agree with you on that front, and I I do think I if I were to rub a crystal ball, I would say that it's probably more likely that Harrison runs out this year with than than if he gets traded. For clarity's sake, he is not washed. He is thank you, thank you very, very much not washed. In. Not washed. Chris, do you concur? Uh absolutely. Absolutely not washed. I also looked Can, up it, the uh, top cent top uh, hundred songs from two thousand six if if uh, if anyone's curious last time what are they? the playoffs. Oh. It was a uh, bad day if anyone remembers because you had a bad day. Yeah. Temperature Temperature by Sean Paul. Great, Great song. song. T- terrific song. Brandon, I don't know if you know that one. You might not have been born yet. <laughs> why, why are you calling me out here? <laughs> you just didn't say anything about it being a terrific song, and it's a terrific by, song. So. By the way, Bad Day was the walk-off song for American Idol, and I think that's perfect as a walk-off song for Matt George right now. <laughs> oh. Or, I, I'm just trying to figure a segue to, to help him get it. It wasn't the shot, actually. <laughs> Did I just get eliminated from a show? <laughs> yeah. Matt, I remember earlier when I said someone had Thank to Thank you for coming by. Like, you are um, eliminated. Nelly was in the top five. Yeah. Nelly Furtado with Promiscuous. I'm only coming back on Return also, of the War when Brendan Nunez is, uh, is not here. <laughs> you're you're going to boycott. And every time Brendan's on your boycott. Yeah, him okay. and his dirty socks. I ain't about it anymore. It's the design, dude. No, it's I don't not. Know what it's, you're... A, it's, it's a coffee <laughs> stain and you're stupid in Vegas. I don't like they it. They look warm. They look warm. No, they don't. They have a hole in the heel. It was 32 don't. degrees today. He's wearing warm socks, I think. Right, I don't know. This morning, they're, having this conversation. They're not cold, so yeah. <laughs> okay, well. Anyway, so Matt, Matt has to go. Uh, Matt, Matt George, real, real quick bef- before you leave, because we're gonna. This is probably the last thing we're gonna talk about. Uh, while we have you, Matt, I have you on till maybe midseason because we don't like probably you. Apparently, uh, maybe not again. Uh, what is your ceiling? What is your ceiling, <laughs> Matt? The end of Matt George. So let's get this in real quick. Give Give me your quick uh, your quick ceiling for this team. Where do you think this team is heading? today or floor i mean where do you think this team is heading today on december 15th the year 2022 well they're ceiling is sure as hell a lot higher than harrison barnes's <laughs> matt freaking ryan but uh <laughs> matt ryan was a bad example it was more just i was trying to think of the most average quarterback that there is Jeez, like, like, again backhanded compliment leave harrison alone uh the ceiling for this king's team like i think it's real i thought it was going to be a best case scenario for this king's team to actually uh avoid the play in and be like a sixth or fifth seed to, to be in a legitimate playoff series. I think that is, I still think the ceiling is around that, but it's not as unachievable uh, as I thought it was like a sixth or fifth seed with how crazy and, and close the Western conferences. And I imagine some separation is going to start to happen when we get into January and February, but I think the King should be a part of the uptick of the separation, not the, the downfall, but regardless, like I expect the Sacramento Kings to have one, postseason game minimum inside the Golden One Center. They, I mean, they're either going to be an eighth, seventh, sixth, or fifth seed. Like, I feel like that's that's not out of the realm of possibility to say. At this point, I would be disappointed with the Kings being nine or ten in the West. So that that's my expectation. I get the. I guess my floor, Frankie, is like nine, and I'm disappointed with that. Although it would be postseason basketball, it doesn't count towards the playoff drought, but at least it would be more than eighty two games. Brendan had a bad day. Oh, <laughs> <sorry>. I'm <laughs> out of here. <laughs> 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 Pushing him out. 
hate this guy. Hey, Goodbye, put some Matthew. stuff up on your walls, Brendan. Jeez. Seriously, you're... I just moved in, man. You have nothing behind you. What are I'm you moving out, about? bro. <laughs> this is therapy for all of us, by the way. This is a King's, ther- King's Media Therapy session. Yes, apparently. Oh, um, I-, I think I'm on board with Matt, <laughs> I don't believe care. it or not. I don't uh, care what you <laughs> think. <laughs> I think Ceiling is around like 46 wins, which is what the Pelicans did last year. I, I think that's sort of what we're talking about where you'll be in a playing situation you could give a team a pretty good run in the playoffs but i would be shocked if they ended up winning a playoff series i guess like absolute ceiling like we believe warriors on some crazy outlier stuff but like that's <laughs> first round win the most outlier thing there is i i do not think they will beat the mvp as the eight seed in the first round of the playoffs um but okay. I, I think like 46 wins is a somewhat realistic ceiling now and i don't know that i ever would have believed that at the beginning of the year to be honest i agree i agree i guess my what 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 matt said so we can come on boys stop fighting stop fighting uh what (laughs) my ceiling is uh also i'm gonna go six seed or seven seed like i think that they're a team that can for sure uh either be the leader in the play-in race or not even have to worry about the plan just finish six but um to me at this point, if this team really is even close to where they are right now, the play-in is a disappointment. Uh, 9-10 is a disappointment. I think that they have proven they are one of the top teams in the West at this point. Obviously, injuries can can derail things, and uh, maybe some teams that are waiting in the weeds figure some things out, like the Clippers and Minnesota struggled. Maybe some teams like that can figure uh, their offenses and defenses out. But the Kings are good, and that's enough for me right now. The Kings are good. <laughs> Except yeah, for Harrison Barnes, apparently. Yeah. Except uh, someone said, uh, Kurt, bro, Kurt, Kurt Cousins, come on. So yeah, Kurt Cousins I mean, to the Vikings? Yeah, Kirk, or? Kirk is definitely like the the example, the current example of just like an average quarterback. But I've tried to use that example before, and people didn't like me saying Harrison Barnes is Kirk Cousins. because apparently. So Matt Ryan is Cousins. better. That's Who's <laughs> just like, who is your most average quarterback? <laughs> Jimmy life? Garoppolo. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy is another great example. I'm sorry. I should have said. And Daniel Dimes is is, yeah, is uh, Dimes. Daniel Jones is Harrison Barnes, and I want um, Jalen Hurts, who it looks like he could be a at one point looked like he could be a discount. Uh, anyways, whatever it doesn't matter. Point is, it was a bad example. I'll work on him. Point is, Harrison Barnes is okay, and I want better. Sorry, Chris. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think the Kings can absolutely be a six seed. By the way, uh, you know, I I think that uh, there's kind of a clear pecking order at the top of the of the Western Conference right now. It feels like the Pelicans. Uh, are are definitely up there, Brendan. I see you smiling. What are you? Because <laughs> Deuce you... just posted a picture of apparently my dirty socks. <laughs> I did see. I did see this. I am going. Let's see if I can pull this up here. Deuce! Thank you. Thank you, Deuce. Share that, screen. That's not close. Is it one hundred percent accurate? Yes. There we go. Can we get another sock? This is a design. Yes, I will stand on my damn chair right now. Look at this. Brennan's this dirty is a sock. design, people. Let's oh get a God. sock I'm shot. Fall. I am going to fall. Here we go. Here we go. He's going. Look at this. Oh it's the design. Oh, my God. No, oh, it's dude. the design, no. people. On that. Can we have a rolling in the chat? That's what that's know. supposed to look like. Yeah, what is God. it? Like sharks with stripes and coffee stains? Like, what's the point? Like, That's the first time I've ever stood on this desk for a podcast. You're right. It won't be the last. It will not be the last. It will be. I I don't know. Now this will be a segment crazy time. here on Return of the Roar Live. This is the gold <laughs> Kings jerseys of socks that you're wearing. <laughs> oh 
NBA Jersey Day was the other day. What's everybody's favorite jerseys? I need to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Play yourself off. Here, I got it. I know. I'll play. Actually, we'll play it for you, Matt. No, yeah. Hello, leaving. my darling. Do you just want me to take you out, Matt? Is that what, <laughs> no, is that what you're just asking gonna, for? just going to say goodbye. I love you guys. You're great. All right, Matt. You're great. There it is. Tell, uh, whoa, copyright strike. Copyright strike. Oh, true, true, true. It's gone. No, you, you get 15 cut, seconds. Cut that, cut that. Cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. You get 15 <laughs> seconds. All right. That was our buddy, Matt George, uh, best friend of uh, Kevin John. So wait, Love to talk with Matt. ABC 10. Shut up, Matt. Go ahead. Should we end it with um, – so wait. I want to know what your guys' favorite Christmas movie is. Bro, someone asked me this. Yeah, I'm going to go three heads if this is all right. Is this better? Sure. Should I go, close should I go the other option? Sure. A, little, a little close. Shoot. Um, yeah, favorite Christmas movie. Someone asked me this the other day, and I kind of realized that I haven't seen a lot of Christmas movies. And I feel like Brendan also is the exact same because he hasn't seen any movies. But like when someone kid. asked me – Initially, the first thing that came to my head was Harry Potter. <laughs> what? Is that, God. What? There is a Christmas scene in it. That doesn't make it a generally... Christmas movie. Well, that's a conversation I'd like to have, though, real quick. If there's Christmas in the movie, can it be a Christmas movie? I was just talking with someone about this the other day. Like, no. No. Like, why, if we're why? talking like a category of Christmas movies, I don't give it. I don't care what somebody plays on Christmas. You can play whatever movie you want on Christmas. Well, I know you're watching What basketball. is a Christmas movie? I am watching basketball all day so on much. Christmas. For I, I mean, sure. like, the, the season. The season of Christmas. Like, don't you watch anything Christmas? <laughs> I'll probably Come watch like, Elf one time. Like, Bro. Elf was my movie growing up. That's and, exactly like, what I said. It's literally that's... the only Christmas Wait, movie did, I did, did that you guys I've see? Seen. Did you see the edit that Sabonis posted? Of yeah, oh my god, incredible. it was the funniest thing. Yes, incredible. so funny, man, so funny. If anyone hasn't seen uh, it, go look at Demonis Sabonis' Instagram. He he was Elf. It was great. Um. So yeah, I mean, I have not seen Home Alone. Uh, I tried Whoa. to watch it the other day and I fell asleep. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> Matt is super salty. Uh, <laughs> You waited until after the- Matt. I know. What is your favorite movie? Is it like, uh, is it Scrooge or, or? <laughs> uh, you know what? I will say this. I, I don't know. Sam, can you hear me? My girlfriend's here. My girlfriend's favorite Christmas movie is The Grinch, the uh, new animated Grinch movie. Pretty oh, damn the good. One with Benedict uh, Cumberbatch, yes, right? Yes, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Pretty okay. damn good. I had to I recommend one, it would be that. Uh, Allie, my girlfriend's favorite one is, is the other Grinch, the one with Jim Carrey. She loves Jim Carrey. Oh, she Grinch. also loves that one too. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep good. back to you about my girlfriend's favorite one. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, she goes to different school, but right, I'll right. ask her. I'll ask her. She goes to different school. So Megan's like, y- y'all made Matt have a bad day. Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. Honestly, sorry about that. You know, he can cheer the Matt Ryan of podcasts. Yikes! Ouch! Ouch! Well, now, now it's just turning into Matt pile on Matt George hour here. Uh, no, did he no. deserve it though? I don't know. Whoa! 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 No, of course <laughs> not. Why is that a Matt. question? I love that. I love that. Well, Matt he wanted you his butt off. He even though he wanted you about your socks, you're being the bigger man, and you're gonna say he doesn't deserve the slander. <laughs> he does not. He does not. He also okay. gave me a shout out for talking to Luke Laux when we were supposed to right. talk to him together and didn't even mention that. Matt was absolutely <laughs> supposed to be a part of that. Matt is a bigger person than me for sure. 
much respect to Matt Locked On Podcast. I think he does great work. <laughs> That's actually funny because as I see here, <laughs> Matt George puts in the comments, I hate Brendan. Um, interesting stuff. We'll see how that develops. Uh, how about this? Speak. How about this? Just a little bit of basketball. Uh, what is the best Christmas Day NBA game that you've ever seen? Ooh. Oh, man. That Warriors-Cavs yes. one definitely sticks out. I think uh, Kyrie did, turnaround game winner. Yeah, Kyrie yeah. turnaround, right. The same way he ended the finals. Uh, that was an incredibly fun game. Those jerseys were so terrible, though. Do you remember those? Oh, they yes. were like Awful. color rush, essentially, where it was – I think Cleveland was all maroon. Golden State was uh, all blue. All blue with with the, yeah, gold font. And it's like in curse – terrible. Terrible stuff. There was a, a there was a game on um, Christmas a couple of years ago. Was it twenty two thousand eight? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was Mason Roger Mason Jr. Roger Mason hit a buzzer beater over for the Spurs over the Suns. And I remember I was in like eighth grade and I thought it was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Uh, that one's at the top of my list. But you know, I was thinking about how we all cover the Kings and an ad for true. an ad. For, it is true. An ad for Christmas Day games came up, and I thought about how would you no. – what if the Kings play? Would you enjoy going to a game on Christmas, or would you kind of be like, ooh, I would rather them not play on Christmas? I would love it. I would love it. You'd love it. Maybe that speaks to my family dynamics, but I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an excuse. Uh, it kind of – yeah, it kind of depends on the time. Like if it's the later game, like probably – you know, later on, and you know, all the business side of Christmas gets done in the morning. Open the gifts. Maybe you hang out with family during the, the day. Business side. You know, yeah. If it's a five, six o'clock the paperwork, day, right? You know, yeah, but you know, you got to fill well, out all the stuff. And no, knowing how the NBA does things, if the Kings, which they will play on Christmas again someday, I don't know when, but if, let's say the Kings have this trajectory right now. It would start with the road game. They'd probably play like the Pelicans on the road in like 2024. Then maybe if they make it to the second round of the playoffs, they maybe host a game, like in twenty twenty five or six. Like that's the trajectory. I'm I'm just wondering, like, yeah, I mean, who knows where we'll be at that point? Brendan might have three kids by then. We don't know where we're all going to be whoa, in twenty twenty six. What? What? You have a girlfriend? I thought you had a girlfriend at no. school. I do, I do, and we're all going to be at a Christmas party together with our right. significant others, right? Absolutely. Watching, Why you gotta ask uh, that on the live? Watching the new version of Grinch. Exactly. And Matt George, will, I didn't know there was a new version. Matt George will definitely be invited. Yes, of course. Matt's invited everything. I, I need his professional advice anytime I make a decision. It's, it seems to work out all right. So you're a bigger man, you're a bigger <laughs> man than I. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about? We're kind of talking Christmas stuff at this point, but. I mean, do you guys, what's your guys' like favorite obscure NBA player? Like, uh, you know, there's uh, Keon Clark, Lawrence Funderburk are some good Kings examples, but just like Tony Delk, Mikhail Petrie. Wow. Wow. I just like the name, just fond memories. No, yeah. Like he was just a dog, and that's my type, apparently. And Um, I, I just try to think of a random guy from. A while ago that I enjoyed. You were a big Rondo guy. Not that that's obscure. I was, but that wasn't obscure enough, you know? 
Right. I do have like a Jemias Ramsey poster back there, which Jemias and Robert Woodard are on the same G League team now, and they played two games in a row in Stockton, and I didn't go to either one. I don't know what is wrong with I me. I saw Jemias had a nasty throwdown. He did. He did. He did. And, and I just, not a, you know. So you're not a true Jemias fan? Apparently not. I'm a fake. You're being exposed. I'm curious. A lot of uh, exposure going on today. Yeah. I'm Not a lot of people end up talking have legitimate conversations about the Stockton guys what do you think is like the actual realistic projection for we'll just do the two-way guy the Nimi and and uh even we'll do Chima too Nimi Chima and and Keon Ellis yeah it's hard to think of like like realistic legit player comps right I think like if you're dreaming about these guys of like ceilings right Mm mm-hmm Keon Ellis, like, is it like a Danny Green type? Mm -hmm. I don't, like, it's just an elite 3 and D guy, right? Like, he honestly can't dribble. He had, I forget if it was more turnovers or more assists, but the fact that it was close enough to to be a question in my mind during his couple years at um, Oklahoma. Thank you, thank you. No, you're right, it's Bama. Um, that I, I think that speaks in itself, and he doesn't have great size, right, to go with his defensive versatility, which is something like Davion deals with. So I think you're talking about a little bit of an undersized two that can maybe be a three and then just hit down, uh, hit shots. I think that Namias is like there's lower tier starting centers in the league that you can get away with being starter tier. Like, could Nimi be that eventually? Sure. I think that he'll probably be a backup big in the league, but I think it's just getting used to being the size that he currently is. Like if you go back and look at Utah state pictures of Nimi, he was really thin (laughs) at first. And like just his learning curve is ridiculous. Like came to Utah state and hardly spoke any English. You would have no clue now based on how he talks. He speaks great English. He looks so thin. He's like the biggest human I've ever seen now. Um, So I I think that you're definitely seeing growth there, but it's just got to be continued progress. And then Shima, like, who's a? I think like uh, you and I have talked about it, like Bruce Brown, kind of right, where it's just yeah. like a dirty, you know, PJ not, Tucker, not a shooter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's probably a better shooter. Big, like, yeah, yeah. Like Shima's just kind of all around the rim, and he's just kind of a big. Bo- like, is he Frank? Like, could you see him being like a Quincy AC kind of guy? Yeah, I mean, does he have that bounce? Like, I haven't really gotten to see. Right. A lot of cheap. Does he have that bounce, Brendan? I mean, I, I know you spent some time down in Stockton. I do think that he is a ridiculous athlete. He was finishing, and I should have my Chima piece out later today, but I admittedly have been saying that for a little while. Plug. Uh, <laughs> plug. Uh, um, but he, I think he was finishing somewhere a little higher than like 55% from the field, and he's shooting really poor from three, but he's still finishing yeah. really well. And when I asked him, he was just like, well, like I was like, what's allowed you to finish so well around the rim this year? It seems like, and he cut me off. And he's like, no, I've been horrible. Like he's like, usually I'm finishing around like 70% around the rim. I'm like, damn, bro. Okay. Like, so I, he expects to be a really good finisher around the rim. And mm-hmm. he did that during his time overseas. It's different in the NBA, but I think he could eventually get there. Like uh, coach talks about him in the same way as KZ, like that sort of lengthy defender, that just brings a lot of energy and has versatility and then just plays his role on offense. He's also a really big rebounder, isn't he? 
He's a ridiculous rebounder. Um, last I checked, he was leading the G League in rebounds per game. Uh, he's actually wow. down to fifth now, but 11.7 per game. Yeah. Bobby Jackson said that's the reason he's uh, he's in the NBA. Right. Yeah, and th- that's kind of – Frank, mm. do you have any thoughts? No. I mean, I'm, I'm just learning from you guys. I need to spend right. more time down in Stockton. We've, we've – We've been meaning to go down there, but I know that Definitely. Brendan has been uh, – he spent a couple of days yeah, down Brendan's there. Yeah, so Brendan's been a couple times, four or five games, right? Been a couple times, yeah. Uh, three, I think, four, something like that. So Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it seems to me like Nimi's path is kind of, like you said, just kind of a backup center. I don't know if he'll ever I, – I feel like his era of center, like the kind of center he is, just isn't found too often right now in the NBA. He's not – you know – you. you Nimi's a pretty big guy now, like you said, but he he looked a lot more like Nerlens Noel in college than he did Stephen Adams or Jonas Valanciunas. So I don't think he'll ever be like one of those really beefy, strong centers that we see in the NBA. And he's not hasn't shown the ability to really be anything special on on the rebounding end. So I don't know, you know. Yeah, it feels like backup center is kind of the ceiling for him. But even then, it's like not often do you see a big lumbering guy as as a backup center. Like Robin Lopez comes to mind. Alex uh, Len. Alex Len. But even, you yeah. know, Alex can't get minutes on this team. They, you see that even they would much rather go with, with Mezzi, who's just more mobile, more versatile on the defensive end and allows them to do some similar stuff on offense. But uh, I just don't know if they're if like Nimi's if Nimi is a dinosaur, essentially, is 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 he just kind of a, an, a relic of, of a way that the game used to be played and it can't really be played in the NBA anymore? That's my concern with him. Yeah. And Keon, yeah, maybe. Not so much, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to just, I mean, we have to see him play more. I mean, Nimi got a shot the other night and it didn't go very well. I mean, again, it, it, it uh, a little over aggressive on defense and you're, you're going at Joel Embiid. Right. So. I want to take that out with a grain of salt, but I'd like to see more of Nimi so we can kind of get an idea of what we're working with at the NBA level. I mean, I think he's 23 now, 23, right? Brendan, is he 23, 22, 23? Nimi? Yeah, totally. yeah probably. That makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, I definitely know that. in college for three years. That sounds he about right. is 23. Yes. Yeah, I mean, see what we have. See what you have in him. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I think the Kings obviously need to be in a better position before they can start rolling. Like, either it's late in the game and – it's garbage time or it's because of injury. I don't know if you can just kind of throw him into the rotation. They obviously want to go find someone more proven to be a backup center, but uh, at some point you need to see what you have. Yeah. Do you guys think that uh, Rashawn playing yesterday and it was, I I'm curious. First off, do you guys think that was a Jordy decision or do you think that's just something that they discussed at halftime? Like, Hey, let's give Rashawn the, uh, the Mezzi minutes this, this half. It's weird, right? Like I, I, my first reaction to it was like, does this have anything to do with Jordy running the show? Right. But that just feels wrong to me. Yeah. Like I'd imagine yeah. everybody's on the same page. You know, they clearly have a good relationship. I don't think there's any like weird disagreements between them. And I certainly don't think that Jordy's going to get his opportunity and all of a sudden be like, <laughs> I've been trying to tell. I got all the power like, now. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Now I can finally get my opportunity to teach this guy. Like, no, I, right. I, I don't. I definitely had that thought, but I would be shocked if it was just Jordy trying to prove a point or something. Rashawn played well in in garbage 
against uh, against uh, Philly as well. He, he he scored, I think, six in the final quarter. I mean, it was like I said, it's garbage time. Now, but, man. You know, <laughs> he's still, <laughs> he still, he's still a good player. Still yeah. a good player. I think he needs to be put in the right position. And now that's December fifteenth. I mean, everybody's everybody's being true. is available to be traded now. So I think we could see some more moves sort of come together. But uh, what do you guys think it's going to take for the Kings to move him? I mean, I think I think the biggest hold up right now is the contract. I think he has three mm-hmm. years and thirty three million remaining on his contract. Uh, right. right, that's kind of that's a good amount to take on. I was wondering. Uh, we we heard Sam Amick on with Dave this morning talk about how maybe it would take a player like Terrence Davis to attach. That would hurt. Mm-hmm. I think the Kings have had a lot of success with TD, and TD has been a huge part of the the second unit. I think he even is one of like the. Um, I can't remember which stat it was, but he's like at the top. I don't know if it's plus box minus. I don't know, but he's up there as far as one of the more valuable members of the bench this year. So I was wondering if it took something like that to move Rashawn, do you just kind of hold on to him and, and see if you can make it work? Or do you part with parts of the team that kind of would sting a little bit? I mean, I'm probably not dumping him. I'd have to get a better feel of what their financial situation is. If they can clear up substantial cap space this off season, which I want to say they can, but I probably shouldn't talk without knowing. Cause I know HB is coming off the books. There's a couple other guys, Mezzi and a couple others. Um, so maybe if there's somebody you had in mind and <clears throat> excuse me, you felt like you had a decent opportunity to chase then maybe. Um, but I feel like in my mind, what it takes is like some team desperately needing a center, like, because I am believing this less and less every day, but I still think that he's a starter in the league. Like Mm -hmm. he was really good. And I don't think that somebody just loses that. You know, I, I think that my biggest realization is he does need somebody to set him up. Like Tyrese Mm -hmm. was really good at that. De'Aaron was really good at that too. It's just that they went away from that style. You know, but that push shot that he has that my favorite is Doug Christie saying patent pending. And that is still very much pending because we just haven't seen it enough. Right. (laughs) Um, Like he has to catch the ball in that spot in, in there's, you know, there's a kind of a range of spots in that sort of elbow, elbow extended area, but he has to catch it there and then instantly go up. He's not taking a dribble or a couple dribbles and then pushing it, or he's not like, passing from there you know like he has to be in a heavy pick and roll offense in my mind and then he's a starting caliber center like and I think his switch switchability on defense I thought was good in years prior I don't honestly understand why Mezzi can switch on defense but Rashawn can't like that doesn't make much sense to me so I don't know I I think it, it takes a team desperately having a hole or vacancy at the center yeah, I agree. I think it's just kind of like you look around and I do think he's starter quality. It's just it's got to be on the right roster on the right team. Like not every team can operate with a guy like Rashawn Holmes at center. And that's not a knock to Rashawn. It's just the way that the game is played today. Like not everyone needs, you know, some people would value like the Celtics. The Celtics run beautifully with having Robert Williams at their center. Uh, having a center like Rashawn Holmes might muck up things for them. So I think that's kind of the biggest hurdle is looking for the perfect team to trade for them. And, uh, you know, Charlotte has always been a team that people have thrown out. That's, you know, you can maybe get PJ Washington has always been somebody that the Kings fans have, have talked about or, or, you know, maybe he, he gets involved in in a Kyle Kuzma deal or something like that. I don't quite know how those numbers work out, but maybe, um, you know, you could do, I don't, I definitely don't think these numbers work out, but like Barnes and Holmes for 
Kuzma and Daniel Gafford or something. Like I think Daniel Gafford would work really well as the type of center backup center the Kings need. But um, there's a ton of teams. Uh, I'm seeing Bryant right here. Bryant West in the uh, comments here put that home should hit to Toronto. They clearly need centers. Like, yeah, I mean, Toronto is a team I think uh, has been mentioned. Rashawn has been mentioned uh, around. So I think that's the tough thing is just kind of finding that dance partner to go with Rashawn and then matching up value because it is kind of beauties in the eye of the beholder in that case, because it's really like, how do you want to use him? Like the Kings are Kings were essentially going to pay him $11 million to be a backup. And I think, for whatever do you, do you think that a big part of him not getting playing time he did struggle at the start of the season but do you think it is just kind of keeping him healthy for this period of time when he's available to be traded i mean maybe i think that if he was if he was on mike brown's radar he'd be playing i think if if he was someone who mike brown thought would make this team better he'd be playing every night and he'd be in that backup center role because we've seen Shemezi he's looked good in flashes and he's looked bad in some regards and i think he's kind of had a bad stretch here and he's really kind of being used as a rim runner and, and you like him on the lob and in those types of situations. But uh, I think if Rashawn, when maybe with Jordy last night, he just wanted to switch things up. But uh, to me, it's still kind of interesting that Rashawn is so far out of, of that rot- of the rotation, because I think that he is someone mm-hmm. who could make a positive impact even more so than Chemezi met to in certain situations. I mean, to me, I think a by committee basis would have been the best way to handle it. And you right. play Chemezi against some of the more athletic uh, bigs in the league and you throw Rashawn out there for more of a stationary guys in the league, like throwing him out there against um, uh, Brooke Lopez, which I think he's had trouble with Brooke Lopez in the past before, but I just like him better in that situation. But yeah. I think that Monty McNair's probably got that near the top of his list, finding Rashawn a new home. Um, I, I do think that Rashawn's handled it, the situation pretty graciously. I think he's been pretty, uh, you see him in the picture last night having a great time with his teammates. He hasn't been a distraction. He hasn't done what some other players who shall rename <laughs> nameless have handled uh, wanting to be traded over the past couple of seasons. And that to me is huge. It just speaks to his character and speech, speaks to uh, who he is. But yeah, I mean, I think that finding him a new uh, a new home has got to be at the top of Monty McNair's list. Yeah, it's definitely weird that he got a Bagley and then, I mean, got a bag and then, whoa, and then just, kind of disappeared. It doesn't really, it doesn't really whoa. make sense. It doesn't really make sense. The mess. Throw that back Stop out there. It. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Matt's, Matt's never coming back yeah, on again. He will, he's, not gonna, he's not going to, he's not going to want to come on with us again. I love Matt too. Matt, Matt's a great guy. So do I. So do I. Obviously. Um, <laughs> Anything else? I mean, we've been on it for 90 minutes. I know we have. We're doing a good job. Pulling a king's Um, feet over here. (laughs) (laughs) Time time to rebrand. Let's see here. Is there anything? Well, we'll we'll do a little. I'll take a little bit from from my show and let's let's do a little forecasting here. The Kings uh, closed the road trip in Detroit on Friday and then uh, don't play again till Monday at home against Charlotte. And then uh, Wednesday they play our most hated rivals in the Los Angeles Lakers. Let's just give uh, let's give the next, well, you know what? And then on Friday they play the wizards as well before doing a back-to-back against the nuggets. So we'll just do until the wizards game next four games, Charlotte, uh, Detroit, Charlotte, Los Angeles, Washington seems to me like four very winnable games. Is it kind of, three or four wins or bust here not bust and by bust it's like or disappointment 
I I'm almost expecting three and one. Maybe that's being right. a little bit greedy, but I I'm expecting three and one. They're coming home for a a, a good amount of time here. A couple of weeks mm-hmm. they'll be at home, and yep. that's time to take care of some business. The road trip, if they can split the road trip, a six like I said earlier, uh, a six game split on the East Coast, that's that's pretty incredible to me. That's something you got to hang your hat on, especially when you look at the fact that you're playing multiple top 10 defenses here in uh, Milwaukee, Philly, Toronto, the Kings are going to come out uh, three and three. That's, that's pretty great in my opinion. So I'm, I'm looking at three and one on, over this next couple of games. Got to take the Laker game though. Got to take the Laker game. Have to most important one. Have to take the Laker game. Go one and three for all I care. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel the same. I, I think three and one is sort of what I'm expecting, but four and one, I mean, four and zero oh feels reasonable as well, you know? So, um, I think that it, the team is for sure performing well when we can look at next four and say that like they should probably be favored in all of them. Like this isn't the most yeah. high caliber opponents or anything, but when's the last time like you felt like you could comfortably look at a King schedule and be like, they should probably win these next four games, you know? So, and Washington has been really good this year. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. they've been, um, yeah, they, they've been, they've been really good this year. They're riddled with injuries, but they have different guys stepping up like, um, Detroit can on any given night, you never really know. Like these are still all NBA caliber teams right. that have their strengths. Uh, the Lakers have been rolling. Like that's probably that the Lakers and Washington games are probably the two most difficult ones. Um, but I thought that the New York game was going to be the easy one and the Toronto was going to be the hardest one. And, and look how those went. So who knows? Washington has been good this year. I will say I did just look at their, their schedule yes. and uh, they have lost eight straight games. Um, and they are oh. one and nine in their last 10, but they were good before that. They are currently they were eight, 11 and 18 and they've lost nine of their last 10. So they were good at one point. Absolutely. When I was checking in on the wizards, they were right at, at 500 and uh, Porzingis was playing well. Beal was playing well. Uh, clearly. I don't know. I, uh, you and I both have not been keeping up on the wizards, but yeah. things are not going well. <laughs> things, yeah, apparently. things are not going well in, uh, I believe they call it chocolate town. Yeah, Char- Charlotte what? also uh, seven and 21. Chocolate so city. chocolate city um looking at teams that have lost i mean eight in a row and then in washington seven twenty one in charlotte i mean the kings they they have to take care of these kinds yeah. of games at home i mean if right. they lose to charlotte or washington it's 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 a very bad loss yeah yeah i think friday like the, the, no the lakers are playing better like the lakers are playing business. better right that'll be a very fun game uh, I think Detroit should be a win. There's not really any reason why without Cade Cunningham, unless it's going to be a real Jaden Ivey revenge game uh, that, that the Kings shouldn't take care of that one. The Hornets, LaMelo's back. That shouldn't matter. Uh, though the last time they played the Hornets, it was, it was way too close for comfort. That's for sure. Uh, Lakers, you mentioned tough opponent. They're getting better. Anthony Davis, I don't think people fully remember how much Anthony Davis absolutely cooked us in the preseason. I think he had a double-double in the first quarter in the preseason. I know it's preseason, but uh, the Kings just cannot match up with Anthony Davis. Uh, not expecting fun things for that one. But, no. Uh, yeah, I think that they should go 4 now, honestly. Okay. But you heard it here before first. We, before we get out of here, can we revisit this Chocolate City thing? Is that a thing? Chocolate is City that? is absolutely what they call Washington, D.C., if I'm not mistaken. Like, is it uh, Willy Wonka's Washington, factory there or something? Uh, let me see here. Chocolate City. And shout out Meg for saying it's that was. Uh, oh, you're saying Washington, not Charlotte? 
Uh, Washington, yes. DC. Oh, okay, okay. Chocolate City. Washington. What? No the chocolate, chocolate City. Goodbye to Chocolate City. Hmm. I mean, Chocolate well, City. Every, I type in Washington, D.C., Chocolate City. It says that there it used to be called Washington City, but it is no longer referred to as uh, Chocolate City. So yeah, there you go. Be careful apparently, just blindly searching Chocolate City. You never know what you're right. Yeah. Apparently it was a film in 2015. Uh, can't really repeat what the film is is about. Uh, I will just say it's probably not. An adult adult film or? No, it's not that. Not there. Okay. But it's okay. it's not. <laughs> it's very 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 magic. Mike. Very politics. magic. Oh, it's very magic, Mike. Yeah. Oh, it's like magic okay. Mike esque, like kind of a theme. Like it falls in line. Yeah, we we, we got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Well, family that is pro- not family why program. They call it. Right. Right. But, Probably a Christmas anyway. movie. You know, if it if they filmed in Definitely. December. The mistletoe <laughs> is. Uh, you might want some mistletoe for for that oh, one. Oh my goodness. Bruh. A couple <laughs> leaves or whatever the, you call mistletoe. People are talking about. Uh, we probably shouldn't talk about this on air. Matt got me in the comments. Matt got yeah. me. We might have our bosses yeah. watching this. Yeah, very true. The Let's one film Brendan. One. The one film Brendan has seen, of course. <laughs> That's his generation. <laughs> Matt. Matt George still in the comments. God. Oh, I love it. All right, First of all, was, thank you to everybody. Who, get out of here. Yeah. Thanks everybody who was joining us. I mean, we had, we had a lot oh, of man. fun talking to everybody about uh, Christmas movies, Brennan socks, uh, Matt George's <laughs> misfortunes in Las Vegas. And now yep. apparently chocolate city 2015, not Academy award nominated film, <laughs> but thank you guys for, yes. for joining us. Yeah. And I'll thank just mention so Chris much. knew, cho- knew of Chocolate City before any search. So I think that's I did know of Chocolate City. I just uh I, I honestly got scared. I was like, is that is that is that a no no? Is that not something I should say? Is that it's definitely like, a no no? Uh all right. That Anyways. brain of yours, man. That brain of yours is incredible. <laughs> for Brandon Nunes, for Matt George, uh for Frankie Cardicelli as well. My name is Chris Parkins. Thank you all for listening so much. Uh bye.